Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us today for a lively, intimate discussion of the Judy Chicago Retrospective Exhibition, currently showing at the San Francisco Art Fine Arts Museum. My name is Robert Milton. I'm the co-chair for the Memberlands Arts Forum for the Commonwealth Club. I will be your moderator today's talk. The presentation will be given by Victoria Kirby, who is a docent at the Fine Arts Museum in San Francisco. Her presentation will cover, explore Chicago's full bodies of works from, her from the early beginnings to her current works, which addresses mortality and environmental issues. Adding to the conversation, we have Deborah Reebok, a barrier visual artist, a photo philanthropist, and who gives talks on focusing on 20 and 21st century women artists. At the end of the program, we have time for Q&A, so have your questions ready. Thank you, Victoria, and thank you, Deborah, for joining us. How are you guys? Great. Good. Excited about the talk today? Always excited about Judy Chicago. Yeah, he's a big figure in the art world, I tell you that. <laughs> um, Victoria, you want to just walk us through the, um, your presentation? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get rid of you all. There we are. So, Victoria okay. Kirby, and I'm a docent at the Fine Arts Museums, and hopefully you can see my first image. And I saw Judy Chicago's mo first, I would say, famous work, The Dinner Party, in 1979 at the Old Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco. Mm. And I was blown away. I was then surprised to see this photo many years later and realized she has done so many artworks exploring different motifs, subject matter, and media. She is far more than her iconic dinner party. I'll touch on some of them. She has also written many books. In this talk, I'll call her Judy until she changes her last name. During her 60 plus year career, she became respected and known in pop culture as an artist, writer, teacher, feminist, and humanist. But Judy has had a rocky reputation in the art world. Throughout her career, the 82-year-old artist has been both celebrated and maligned for her work across media that challenges notions about gender and the role of women in history. The art world has finally, hopefully, caught up with Judy and her work appears visionary in the retrospective exhibition hosted by the De Young Museum in San Francisco. She has spent her life not only inventing feminist art, but inventing a feminist way of creating art. Judy Chicago, a retrospective, was originally scheduled to open at the De Young in 2020, the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote throughout the United States. But as you know, it had to be postponed due to COVID-19. The exhibition is open now and runs to January 9th next year. It includes over 125 of her works from the 1960s to the present that deal with famous women, birth, power, conservation, death, and climate change. There are also sketchbooks, archival materials, and six films. This exhibition will make clear the physical and intellectual scale of Judy's works and through seeing her preparatory works, how the simplicity of her images belies her complexity. One could say the themes are mortality and her legacy, women's culture and the dialogue with the past. I will talk about her career and works in chronological order, although this retrospective takes the viewer through Chicago's career in reverse, as she requested. I think you will relate to one work or another because Judy has produced such a wide range of work in both her choice of media and subject matter. 
And I'm showing you here her 1973 painting titled Through the Flower Two, done by spraying um, acrylic paint on canvas. And if you see a red star, that indicates that this particular work is in our exhibition. Judy was born in 1939 as Judith Sylvia Cohen to author and Mary Cohen in Chicago. Her mother, holding Judy, was a dancer before becoming a medical secretary, and her father, wearing a large hat, was a Marxist and labor organizer during the McCarthy era. Judy said she got her support for her art making and a model of courage in the face of adversity from her mother. And a sense of history, her values, and her drive to succeed from her father. Growing up in a liberal household shaped much of Judy's beliefs, but it also caused trouble. Her father was heavily investigated. At the tender age of six, Judy was questioned by the FBI about her father's involvement with the Communist Party. And this is a poster of the US Communist Party around that time. The unexpected death of her father when Judy was 14 instilled in her a deep understanding of grief and mortality. Strangely, her mother refused to discuss his death or allow Judy or her brother Ben to attend his funeral. At age eight, Judy began attending art classes at the Art Institute of Chicago Junior School and continued there for 10 years. Here at left is a very early painting done by her when she was just nine years old. It is of the apartment building where she lived at 757 Bittersweet Street. I wish I could paint that well at my age. This postcard on the right shows the Institute in the 1950s when she attended. At a very early age, it was important to Judy to become a famous artist and make a difference in the world. In this photo, Judy is 17 years old in 1955. She left Chicago to enroll at UCLA, where she majored in art and minored in humanities. There she met her future husband, Jerry Garowitz. In 1961, she married him, but he died two years later in a car crash, leaving Judy a widow at 23. Judy has said that her transition from student to professional artist could be marked by her mother's superette of 1963. It was influenced by a church around the corner from where she lived in L.A. called the Holy Superette Light Church. She was attracted to the church's neon sign shown here and its female-centric religion. The same year she created Mother Superette, Judy received her M.A. from UCLA and immediately attended auto body school for eight weeks. The only woman in a class of 250 students, she learned fiberglass, casting, and spray painting techniques. Then she apprenticed herself to pyrotechnicians. Bigamy Hood was made using a spray gun to fuse the surface of a car hood with auto lacquer. Look closely and you can see a split open heart and crosses, which are mourning images, according to Judy. She also depicted a large penis halted before it could join with a vagina. Her abstract sexual organs totally shocked her mostly male instructors. Yet for Judy, this work represented the death of her father and first husband. Judy was so discouraged by the shrieks of horror from her UCLA painting professors and the small emerging male-dominated art scene in LA that she stopped working on her Carhood series until much later, thus the dates 1965 to 2011. 
This birthhood was the first image of birth Judy ever did, and it led eventually to the birth project, which I'll talk about later. This work has been acquired by the Fine Arts Museums. After her Carhood series was rejected by her professors in the LA art world, Judy moved towards a more minimalistic aesthetic, pushing herself to do work that was increasingly abstract and technically difficult, such as rainbow picket made of latex paint on canvas wrapped wooden beams and 10 part cylinders made of fiberglass. At this time, Judy developed her own color systems to represent emotional states and forge the formal building blocks of her career. There is a consistency in her work's merger of color, surface, and form from now on. This is a photo of Judy's 1967 Feather Room, a site-specific installation built with wood translucent fabric, spotlights, and lots of duck dawn, down, sorry, <laughs> in other words, feathers. Installation art came to prominence in the 1970s, and Judy was at the forefront of this movement, creating many works that could fit into installation art. The feather room was an immersive environment. I would love to have experienced the soft world. That same year, Judy worked collaboratively for the first time, a method she valued and used again and again as her projects got bigger and more complex. With two collaborators, she installed two dry ice environments. Several tons of dry ice blocks were stacked together to form walls and walkways. Though they looked like minimal sculpture, the crisp blocks began to have uneven edges and create an atmospheric fog. Can you think of who else used feathers and ice in one year? Judy first turned to pyrotechnics in the late 1960s to, as she said, feminize the atmosphere at a time when the Southern California art scene was almost entirely male dominated. Uh, this photo shows how she used smoke machines in 1968 to cloak a Pasadena straight street sorry, in a shroud of white mist. She recalled, and I quote, it softened everything. There was a moment when the smoke began to clear, but a haze lingered, and the whole world was feminized, if only for a moment. Judy's feminism also led into an early interest in the environment or Mother Earth. She created 14 low impact and relatively sustainable atmospheres as feminist responses to the light and space movement of California. Purple atmosphere number four was held on a nearby California beach. Colored smoke hovered in space before it dissipated. Her atmospheres were an experiment in color and the elimination of detail in favor of blur and haze. She integrated technology and nature using color as an illusionistic space. Her environmental works were also opposite to land art or earthworks in the late 1960s, produced mostly by male artists who carved and changed the earth, resulting in more permanent works and creatures dying. Whereas Judy's atmospheres disappeared almost immediately. Judy will present Forever DeYoung, an atmosphere open air performance in front of the DeYoung's main entrance on October 16th at 5 p.m., weather permitting. Now, I hope you enjoy this uh, video. It documents Judy's 2012 performance of Sublime Environment using dry ice and flares at the Santa Monica Airport.
Judy, who turned 82 on July 20th of this year, is a pioneering feminist artist. She has strived throughout her career to put the female experience at the front of her artistic content, to question historic assumptions of male social dominance, and to advance recognition of women artists. I've mentioned feminism several times in relation to Judy and her work, and let's hear directly from her. People have accepted the media's idea of what feminism is, but that doesn't mean that it's right or true or real. Feminism is not monolithic. Within feminism, there is an array of opinions. Rather than distort her ideas to suit the male-dominated art world, Judy wanted to invent a new art world and a new way of being in it. In 1970, on an Art Form magazine ad for her one-woman exhibition, she wrote, Judy hereby divests herself of all names imposed upon her through male social dominance and freely chooses her own name, Judy Chicago. Perhaps Judy chose Chicago because her gallery owner had given her that nickname due to her strong Windy City accent, and the name suited her tough and aggressive stance. She was also born there, of course. Art Forum's full-page ad also included Chicago's posing in the boxing ring where Muhammad Ali had once trained, a spoof on the brawny posters of LA male artists. In the 1970 ad, the gallery owner, Jack Glenn, posed as a manager at the left. A friend of Judy's, or Chicago, I should say, poses alongside her. Chicago's expression is confrontational and cocksure. In 2018, the New York Times cover recreated the scene with Chicago now leaning on the ropes. Chicago did a lot of research into women's history, including the practice of sati in India, where widows were forced to throw themselves into the flames of their husband's funeral fire, a ritual that was finally banned in 1861 by Queen Victoria. This iconic photo is of Chicago's immolation number four that took place in the California desert. Works like this were based on Chicago's concerns about war and the environment, as well as women's rituals and the worship of goddess figures. Chicago's teaching assistant at the time, Faith Wilding with a gray tinted body, assumes the pose of Buddhist monks who set themselves alight protesting the Vietnam War. A Judy Chicago quote, do I wish we lived in a world where gender didn't figure so prominently? Of course. Do I even think about myself as a woman when I go to make art? Of course not. The lack of women's studies spurred Chicago to start a feminist program at Fresno State University in 1970, then moved it to CalArts in 1972, where she team taught with the pioneer of feminist art, Miriam Shapiro. Chicago and Shapiro created with their students, Woman House, a collaborative installation that transformed an abandoned building into a house representative of women's experiences. Chicago explained about creating Woman House, the women had to do hard physical labor using tools they knew nothing about, complete their projects by the opening date, work on a scale larger than most of them had ever tackled. Woman House opened to the public from January 30th to February 27, 1972. The age-old female activity of homemaking was taken to fantasy proportions. Woman House became the repository of the daydreams women have as they wash, bake, cook, clean, and iron their lives away. 
counterclockwise is the wedding stairs, menstruation bathroom that Chicago made, the womb room, and the linen closet. There is a video of Woman House in our exhibition. Starting in 1973, she created Reincarnation, a series of abstract portraits called Great Ladies. This series led her to the dinner party. On the left is a reincarnation titled Jour Song, the French writer of noble birth who chose a male pen name. Song wore sorry, men's clothing without a permit in the 19th century. Also scandalous was Sans Sans smoking tobacco in public, as well as her many affairs. The most famous, perhaps, was with the musician Chopin. Judy added text in her own handwriting around the border to help educate the viewer as to the importance of this woman. She continued to use text as an educational tool. <clears throat> this text says, George Song, 19th century writer, feminist, political activist. She wrote 120 books, 80 of which are novels, and few of which are in print. She strikes me as a woman of great energy, deeply conflicted, whose genius was never fully realized. And at right, you can see Judy Davis playing Jure Sand in a 1991 movie. Chicago gained her first fame with The Dinner Party, an enormous installation with a triangular table set for a feast for 39 mythical and historically important women. The monumental collaborative project used traditional women's crafts such as embroidery, needlepoint, and ceramics. Chicago sought to resuscitate women's history through this work as well as comment on the role of women in a subtly humorous manner. Our exhibition has many preparatory works and a documentary video that show the process of creating um, the dinner party, as well as a video tour of the installation. When the dinner party opened in San Francisco's Museum of Modern Art in March of 1979, the lines were so long that the museum introduced time ticketing for the first time. And revenues were such that the gift shop acquired a new cash register, nicknaming it Judy. And it's amazing how many people I, that have listened to my talks had been there. So thus the lines, I guess. Anyway, feminist programs and activities accompanied the opening, marking the first time a mainstream museum opened its doors to feminist culture. The dinner party fills a very large room since the triangular table measures 48 feet on each side. In addition to the 39 place settings, there are 999 notable women's names on the tiled floor surrounded by the triangular table. This photo shows some of the numerous volunteers who worked on the project, and also Judy was also unpaid. According to Chicago, and I quote, the dinner party was my concept. Everyone worked on my images. What I've tried to do is create a space for people to find their own voices within the structure of my collaborative process. The purpose of the collaboration was to make art beyond what I could make on my own. And as I said, she often used other people to help create her works. Each place setting features a table runner embroidered with the woman's name and images or symbols relating to her accomplishments, plus a napkin, utensils, a goblet, and a plate. Chronologically, the 39 plates start flat, such as the Queen of Egypt at left, then begin to emerge in higher relief as they get closer to our time, such as the one for author, author uh, Virginia Woolf, shown it right. The 3D qualities are meant to represent modern 
woman's gradual independence and equality. The butterfly vagina imagery continues to be both highly criticized and esteemed. Many political conservatives criticized the dinner party, calling it ceramic 3D pornography and weird sexual art. Now, some feminists also found the imagery problematic because of its passive nature. However, the work fits into the feminist movement of the 1970s, which glorified and focused on the female body. Chicago made studies for each plate. Here is her study uh, for the Virginia Woolf plate and one of uh, Virginia Woolf's test plates. Rippling out from the tiny centers of her plates in Judy's words, and I quote, is the insistence that female sexuality is to be celebrated and embraced, not hidden away, excised or despised, unquote. While phalluses were a dime a dozen in male-dominated art making of the 1960s, female genitalia was not. So it's not surprising that Chicago received criticism for celebrating the vagina and the vulva in her work. According to Chicago, it was because of the imagery in these plates that the entire dinner party represented a substantial challenge to the art world, but also to society at large. This photo shows Chicago working on a banner to accompany the dinner party. As a result of the dinner party, Chicago lost her studio and was in debt. She had to start over again. It must have been a daunting, 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 because so many critics, as well as politicians, as I mentioned, panned this time-consuming project. In 2002, and this is the good news, the Elizabeth A. Sacker Foundation acquired the dinner party and it was permanently installed in the Brooklyn Museum of Art, New York in 2007. I also saw it there and that's why we uh, don't have any parts of the original. Finally that year, the New York Times critic, Roberta Smith, gave a positive review that stated in part, this extravagant ceramic and textile homage to women through history is important. It's almost as much a part of American culture as Norman Rockwell, Walt Disney, WPA murals, and the AIDS quilt. Interesting. This was very different from Hilton Kramer's Times Review in 1980 that called it crass and very bad art. Chicago made four goddesses in glazed porcelain and five in clay between 1975 and 77. There are many in the exhibition. Remember, I did say she made a wide variety of artworks in many different media. And now the birth project, which I said I would discuss. It contains 85 works that are that mark the culmination of years of research and talking to hundreds of women. It is a piece that fundamentally rethinks the very notion of authorship because it is based on the many experiences of women, source, sources, and documents. Chicago created the designs, but left it up to the women to choose the type of needlework or weaving. Birth Project, which celebrates creation and the glory and pain of the birth experience, toured for 10 years with portions showing in venues ranging from birthing centers to major museums. Prior to the Birth Project, few images of birth existed in Western art at least from the female point of view. A puzzling omission, as birth is a central focus of many women's lives and a universal experience of all humanity, as we all were born of a woman. Chicago sees birth as the epitome of women's creative power and should be shown in art. 
Think of images of pregnancy, the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary, and cute babies. Can you think of any Western artworks about the birth process itself before Chicago's? Well, I can't. Seeking to fill this void, Judy Chicago created multiple images of birth to be realized through needlework, a visually rich medium that has been ignored or trivialized by the mainstream art community. This work, for example, was made with embroidery over a drawing on silk and executed by Sandy Abel. The crowning is needlepoint with overpainting on a canvas. This fine example of teamwork is now in our collection. The concept and design was by Chicago, needlepoint by Fran Lebonsky, and painting by Chicago with help from Linda Healy. Chicago famously stated, if men had babies, there would be thousands of images of the crowning. While Fran was working on this needlepoint, she attached a border of bands commemorating the number of births each of her great-great-grandmothers experienced. Mother India has images both beautiful and horrifying. Each of the four corners feature images of the Taj Mahal, a bitterly ironic touch considering that the woman for whom the mausoleum was built, died at 37 while giving birth to her 14th child. Sorry. A figure of Shiva is at the center, though his gender is changed to a very pregnant female with children all around her. Surrounding her are panels depicting arranged child marriage, the killing of female babies, and childbirth. Another panel shows a woman being forced to join her husband on his funeral pyre. Although this project is thematically connected to childbearing, Chicago never had children herself, saying that though she admired women who did, there is no way on this earth I could have had children and the career I've had. Does she need the experience of childbirth to depict it? Have artists had to be crucified to depict that? Chicago's next project was Power Play, a series examining the social construct of masculinity in drawings, paintings, sculptures, weavings, cast paper, and bronze. Chicago got interested in the idea of masculinity before the existence of gender and masculinity studies. She went to the library and looked up gender, and the only thing that came up was women, as if only women have gender. Throughout Western history, men have been seen as the head of everything, including creation. Think of Michelangelo's uh, creation mural in the Sistine Chapel in which a male god creates man with the touch of a finger. Chicago is quick to point out that this image still calls to mind the current epidemic of mass shootings. In this work, a blindfolded male rides a woman while strenuously pulling her hair. The strands tightly held in his hands resemble reins or marionette strings. Notice the luminous flow is issuing from her breast. This photo of Chicago in the Power Play Gallery at the De Young shows how large the works are. Chicago wrote on Instagram in 2018, and I quote, it is really sad to watch my paintings come true decades after they were made. Unquote. She posted her painting of 1985, shown above, together with these photos, taken during Kavanaugh's Senate nomination hearings for the Supreme Court. Kavanaugh is in the middle, and Senators Lindsey Graham and Chuck Brassley are on either side. 
Chicago published her first memoir in 1975, her second in 1996, and her third came out this year. After a whirlwind romance, she married photographer Donald Woodman in 1985. When Power Play was finished, they embarked together on an eight-year project about the Holocaust. Neither of them knew much about their Jewish heritage, so they saw the nine-hour film Shoah, traveled to Israel, and toured concentration camps in Europe for several months as part of their research. The Holocaust Project, From Darkness Into Light, premiered in 1993 and traveled for 10 years to both Jewish and non-Jewish institutions. The series opens, uh, and it's quite large, with the fall, a tapestry woven like a medieval masterpiece by Audrey Cohen from Chicago's full-scale painted cartoon. This style of tapestry was because to Chicago, the medieval technique expressed the idea that the Holocaust grew out of the very fabric of Western civilization. The fall depicts the history of Western Europe as a progression of cruelty, dispossession, and industrialization that led to the foundation of the Holocaust. On the left side, Chicago depicts men fighting women, replacing a matriarchal with a patriarchal society. The female goddess is being replaced by the male cross, Christ on a cross. Notice that the earth is crying as it is being plowed with a primitive plow and two oxen. The right depicts Jews and others, considered undesirable by the Nazis, being pushed into ovens. A large machine run by a naked woman refers to the exploitation of women during the Industrial Revolution. See the spinning wheel above, the thread entangling a woman with a witch's emblem on her chest, and at far right, a Jew with a Jewish star on his chest. An arm with a Nazi band rises out of the machine towards a rack of dead pigs, hams, fish, and people. The Holocaust series final image, Rainbow Shabbat, consists of three stained glass windows fabricated by Bob. Gomez. In the middle, people are sharing a meal without consideration of race, gender, class, age, or religion. Shabbat ceremonies are traditionally begun with a prayer offered by a woman, seen at right with the two candles. According to Chicago, this work, quote, unites my feminism, my Judaism, and my personal background, unquote. Chicago decided to flank the center Shabbat panel with two side windows bearing yellow Jewish stars, for these were the humiliating badges forced on Jews by Hitler's. It was a while before I noticed the white cat and dog under the table. Chicago combined her visual and verbal skills for a series of watercolors and text in a book based on a medieval book of hours. Published in 2002, Kitty City, a feline book of hours, chronicles the day in the life of Chicago Woodman's household, illustrating the interactions between humans and cats. Chicago did not have any pets as a child, but she loves cats. And over the last 40 plus years, she has had a changing roster of felines in her homes. Chicago has worked also with uh, animal rescue agencies around the country to support cat adoptions. Anyone who has had cats can relate to these two images from the book. My two cats wake me each morning around 6.30 a.m. for breakfast, and they definitely know when it's dinner time. 
Among the most striking images are a series subtitled Metamorphosis, in which the artist combines her own face with one of her cats. Here is Judy and her cat Poppy. When Chicago wrote and illustrated the book Kitty City, she and her husband lived with these six cats pictured in the book. Chicago has built her career on pushing boundaries. Her series, The End, A Meditation on Death and Extinction is no exception. The series of nearly 40 works is divided into three sections, stages of dying, mortality and extinction. Chicago's wish was that this series open the exhibition so you will see it first when you visit the de Young. She has said, my subject matter makes people uncomfortable. Starting with my latest work, visitors will have no choice but to confront my difficult subject matter immediately. Chicago tackled human mortality and species extinction by painting on porcelain and glass, as well as creating two large bronze sculptures, which are in the, our exhibit. The series is a reminder of the incredible range of mediums Chicago has used and transcended their traditional use. The second part of the series on mortality is painted on kiln-fired black glass. Chicago inscribed above her body, curled on a white cloud-like form, will I leave as I arrived? Here Chicago depicts herself in bed with one of her cats and the words above her, will I die in my own bed with my cat by my side? She specifies the cat's name in white lettering on red, Petrie. Her thoughts and feelings are deeply personal, but they evoke fears and worries that are shared by all of us. This relief includes impressions or death masks of Chicago's own face and hands, of course, when she was alive. In the first two sections of the end, Chicago leaves space for ambiguity and interpretation, but in the extinction section, she conveys a very clear message and purpose. Her art consists, uh, considers the death of the natural world and how we must change direction to save our planet. And you'll notice she has um, words. In this painting, she depicted rare and endangered orchids smuggled from the wild. In Collected, she wrote about the personalities of gorillas and depicts one caught and strapped onto a litter to be taken away from his family. On Stranded, Chicago wrote about the results of climate change and exploitation of the environment while depicting a lone polar bear clinging to a small piece of ice. In 2020, Chicago designed the Female Divine set for a Dior fashion show. At 80, she pulled off a huge coup by planting a massive 225 foot long and 45 foot high inflatable temple to the mother goddess on the museum lawn of the male sculptor Rodin in Paris. She finally had the financial backing needed to construct this sculpture that she had envisioned years before. And one entered through a tastefully stylized vulva. Chicago jokingly said, everyone wants to go back to the womb Inside the highly immersive installation, banners hung with questions about how the world would look if it was run by women. The curved ceiling was mauve and the carpeting and seating were lilac. Several of the banners are hung in our exhibition. See it left, or our right actually. The guests were invited to reconsider gender roles and the subsequent power relationships that determine the way society functions 
as a whole. All Chicago's projects exemplify her belief that artists must take a moral stand in their work. She has always had a different vision of making art that doesn't share the values of the art world, and therefore her work hasn't been accepted until possibly now. Chicago hopes that her artwork helps people wake up to educate them so people can change society. Here is Chicago's quote that opens our exhibition. I have come to understand that justice for women is inevitably connected to the necessity for a global justice that encompasses all living creatures, both human and non-human. Our own fate is inexorably, in, well, anyway, is tied <laughs> to our treatment of other species and the planet. And with her quote, I'll end this talk. And here is information on the Art Talks program. And I was asked to mention that there will be a Judy Chicago um, Access Day on October 18th. Uh, there'll be a regular um, virtual tour at 10 and a highly descriptive um, at 11 and contact Sonia and I um, when I leave this um, slideshow, I'll put her um, email in. So thanks so much for watching. And if you have any questions, I will answer them. I'll now leave this presentation um, so I can see you all. Thank you, Victoria, for such a comprehensive, insightful presentation. I'm just so amazed all the different me art mediums uh, Chicago worked in and her vast subject matters as well. Just amazing. Just, it's overwhelming. Really, really overwhelming. It is. <laughs> Very much so, yes, right. Right, yes. Deborah, any thoughts on Chicago, the presentation or anything you want to add to that? Um, uh, thank you, Robert. Uh, uh, Victoria, it was a delightful presentation and Although I've seen the exhibit a couple of times already, I, I appreciate learning more and more about Judy Chicago. It's very hard to be ahead of your time. And it's obvious that she was definitely ahead of her time. Her themes of the feminist voice being heard and recognized for our contributions, powerlessness and power, birth and creation, and the destruction of the environment is so relevant today. And what impressed me the most, and I think Robert, you mentioned it and, and as well as Victoria was the body of work spanning the different modalities from glass to metal, to ceramics, to the embroidery, um, to the, the ginormous paintings of the Power Play series. They are just huge. Mm -hmm. um, and that totally, totally impressed me. There is, in addition to this must-see show at the De Young, there are two other Judy Chicago exhibits in San Francisco at the present time. One is at the Contemporary Jewish Museum, and the other is at the Jessica Silverman Gallery. So I think that the Young show is a great foundation. And if you have the time and the interest, the other two locations, also rock. Um, so those are some of my my comments, Robert. Great, great, great. Yeah, thinking about your presentation, Victoria, um, I have a couple of comments. Um, when you said that Judy Chicago, her focus is on the women's body, on the body. And I can't <laughs> help but thinking about Josephine Baker. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh my God. She was like this woman performer just on stage, just, you know, just letting her body out there, sexual freedom, you know, and I just, it would be nice to like had paired um, Baker and Chicago together on a project, you know. Yeah, she had to leave and go to Paris to do Yes, it. right, right, exactly though, yeah. And the other so thing is, I want to, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, we have a question from uh, the audience. Um, yeah. about the dinner party. 
So are there any details about the labor intensive effort or execution of what was really life changing art when it was presented um, at the Brooklyn Museum? Good question. Say the first part again. Certainly. Um, are there any details about the labor intensive effort um, and no. execution, what really was quite life changing art um, when it was at the Brooklyn Museum? No, there was there isn't. But in our um, ex, uh, exhibition, there is a um, movie that really goes into, you know, the how difficult it was um, for all these people to come together and their egos and their problems and, you know, um, but, and there wasn't, as far as I remember, any uh, of that at, in San Francisco. Um, okay, here's another question. Uh, uh, it looks like Judy lost some important men in her life early in her life. Her father when she was 14 and then her husband. Um, what additional impact do you think that that has had? Well, I mean, as I said, I, I, she really understood mortality, and I think that pushed her, um, you know, um, re uh, trying to be successful and getting her art out there. And she realized really early uh, in years uh, that she needed to get her artwork out there, and she might die tomorrow. <laughs> mm. It was really, um, she was very close to her father and the fact that he died and she couldn't even discuss it or go to his funeral was, and then her first husband. Um, and I didn't mention, but um, she had a second husband and uh, the dinner party sort of made a rift between them. So uh, Donald Woodman is her third husband. Third time's a charm. Yeah, it is in her case. Yeah. Third time to join. Can you comment a little bit more on the political atmosphere that she grew up in? The McCarthy era? <laughs> I was a little girl during that time, but um, it was it was very dangerous to be a communist or even thought to be one. And there was a blacklist, I think it was called, which is interesting that black was mm. bad, of, of people in Hollywood and famous people who uh, McCarthy thought was a communist or a socialist. And they, uh, in order to continue their careers, they had to sign on with another name. And so some of the um, movies in the McCarthy era was, I think the fifties, if I'm correct. Um, the director's name is, was changed um, because the original guy couldn't uh, work because of McCarthy. So it was, we were really scared in America of communism. And that was the era when they started making bomb shelters. And, and if anybody else has more information, I'm on that. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have a comment, um, just going back to the, um, the birth project, childbirthing. Um, when you were talking about that, um, images of uh, Frida Kahlo came to my mind because I think in some of her works, she depicted her miscarriages and stuff like that. Yeah, so. Yeah, it was, um, that's, you know, she, her work was pretty hidden until what, the 80s, the 90s? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, when I said Western art, I did not include her because mm -hmm. yeah. it wasn't known. Western art is unfortunately just European. Um, right, right, right. I do, have, I do have a question about the dinner party. Um, 
My question is, I'm gonna find my notes here. Yeah, here it goes. Um, how do women of color fit in within Judy Chicago's feminist art movement, especially when it comes to her iconic dinner party, which is dedicated to mythical and historical women from, from Western history? And no blacks. <laughs> yeah, well, I should, let me, let me add this to uh, add this. Um, although she included one black woman, there has been some criticism in a way she presented the one woman of color, Sojourner Truth, a free slave abolitionist and woman of rights activist. And um, yeah, so do you know anything about that? Is that a plate or a name on the tile? Do you know? Yeah, so basically um, Alice Walker actually saw the um, installation and I can just read what Alice Walker said about it, her experience. Quote, yeah. here we go. I was gratified to learn that in the dinner party, there was a place set as it were for black women. The illumination came when I stood in front of it. All the other plates are creatively imagined vaginas. The Sojourner Truth plate is the only one in the collection that shows instead of a vagina, a face. In fact, three faces. It occurred to me that perhaps white women feminists, no less than white women generally, cannot imagine the black woman having vaginas. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so maybe the attitudes about the, uh, the black body, perhaps, that she's trying to get at or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we discussed this, Robert, um, earlier. Um, at that time, all the researchers, um, and there were some men, and I think they were all white, uh, women and men. Anyway, they went to libraries. And th at that time, there wasn't that much. I'm really surprised because um, you think about the Harlem Renaissance, there's a lot of written about those you now writers and performers and artists, you know, and there was Josephine Baker, you know, um, yeah. very interesting. I don't know, just brought that up, just uh, something to chew on. Well, I went to the uh, Black Bookstore years ago, uh -huh. bought a history of Black performers. And it was, um, if I'm correct, I mean, it wasn't published until the 80s. So um, I don't know, you know, yeah. later, definitely, for instance, in um, the fall, the, the Shabbat, there, there is, um, you know, a Black person, there's an Arab. Right. Chinese man, I think, or an Asian. Um, my memory serves me. So, yeah, um, we white women were behind the times for a long time. <laughs> a long time. But I'll have to look up that so, uh, Sojourner Truth play. Yeah, yeah. I ran across that just recently. Yeah. Right. Deborah, anything else you want to add? No, I think this has been a very informative session. I do think um, Victoria has a point on the focus on feminism first started with white women and um, and women of color, all colors, right, have finally started to uh, reclaim the land, so to speak, that has been lost. And in the Rainbow Shabbat, there, it's a, it's a, it, it is the, there is diversity there, but you're right about the Sojourner Truth Plate, because I remembered looking at that going, wow, it's flat, and everything else had, for the most part, um, from that time frame, was uh, elevated and had more of a 3D kind of a look, but it's a phenomenal show, phenomenal show. Maybe uh -huh. the Sojourner Truth was flat to indicate that she didn't have independence and equality, even though she was later in time than the Queen of Egypt, you know. Mm -hmm. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, right. Well, I want to thank you both, Victoria and Deborah, for today's discussion on Jude Chicago. I now have a better understanding about Chicago's life, her art, and her activism. Um, I'm really, I can't wait to see the exhibition. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm definitely gonna see it. And for our viewing audience, I hope Victoria's presentation entices you to see it too. The exhibition runs through, I believe, to January 9th, I believe, at the Dion Museum, right? Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us. 
And uh, my name is Robert Milton. And until next time, be well. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.